This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Never mind the one percenters. We don't have to make billions of dollars a year. Many millionaires, we're calling emerging millionaires here on the Retire Sooner Podcast, are where wealth is actually growing the fastest in the United States. We'll also talk about my favorite five lessons from the millionaire next door, because we're minting so many new millionaires here in the United States. I'm Wes Moss. The prevailing thought in America is that you'll never have enough money and it's almost impossible to retire early. Actually, I think the opposite is true. For more than 20 years, I've been researching, studying, and advising American families, including those who started late, on how to retire sooner and happier. So my mission with the Retire Sooner podcast is to help a million people retire earlier while enjoying the adventure along the way. I'd love for you to be one of them. Let's get started. The Federal Reserve just released their latest survey of consumer finances. It's a comprehensive study. They looked at 4,602 households that completed detailed questionnaires, enumerated all their assets, real estate, stocks, bonds, bank accounts, retirement accounts, cryptocurrencies, and then all their liabilities like mortgages, auto loans, credit card debt, and student loans. Then, of course, net worth is just defined as all of the assets minus all of the liabilities. And the number of millionaires in the United States by the end of 2022, and we're going to compare this to before the pandemic, has surged dramatically despite all the speed bumps and booby traps we've been through in the last three to four years. So if you think back to The Millionaire Next Door, that was a book written in the mid-1990s. I remember I was an intern in the financial industry and it was a new book at the time. It had been out for a year or two and started to get some real traction. And then to this day, I think the book is just as popular as it was 25 years ago. Those methods of gaining financial independence and creating wealth in the United States I think today are maybe more popular than ever. I still wonder because I was still in college at the time, did the term millionaire next door really exist or was it a part of the U.S. psyche before Thomas Stanley and Bill Danko wrote that book and did all that research? I'm not sure, but it's certainly in the vernacular today. The millionaire next door, of course, is someone that we think about who doesn't necessarily seem rich, doesn't necessarily act rich, but if you were to look at their net worth or bank account, the real estate holdings, their overall net worth, and it's way into the seven figures. That's a millionaire next door. I think those lessons have become more and more well-known. I think there's better financial education in the United States today than there ever has been. There are multiple money podcasts. There's Stacking Benjamins, How to Money, Deeper Pockets, Retire Sooner podcast. And the advice that only the really rich had back in the 80s with their 
financial advisor or stockbroker back decades ago, today is fully available. In fact, I would argue that the advice today that's easy to access, whether it's online or through podcasts, is probably a lot more objective today than it was 30 or 40 years ago. Meaning that today you've got financial educational resources that are writers. They're not in it for an asset management fee. They're not in it for a commission. It used to be a time in the 1980s where to buy 100 shares of a stock, it could cost $100, a dollar per share. Then it went to 50 cents a share, then 20 cents a share, then trades became a flat price. 1999, 12 bucks, five bucks. And then a few years ago, big companies like Schwab led the way and just said, hey, no more trading costs. So the walls of financial advice, the impediments have largely gone away. The costs has come down dramatically. The access has been fully democratized. And maybe that's why we're seeing so many new millionaires here in the United States. Whatever... The late, great Thomas Stanley did, and the great still living with us, Bill Danko, who was, who's been here on the Retire Sooner podcast, their work rings true to this day, maybe more than ever. According to this brand new study from the Federal Reserve, there are more millionaires today in the United States by overall net worth than ever before. 16 million, 16 million American families. That's a lot. That's 12% of all U.S. families, up from only 9.8 million at the end of 2019. So we're talking about just a three-year period here. We're looking at numbers that ended in 2019. Then we had 2020, 2021, 2022, that three-year period, which there was peak pandemic years. Take it one step further, there are 8 million families in the United States. So part of that 16 million with $2 million or more. In fact, the average or mean net worth in America right now is just over a million dollars. Whoa, wait a minute. The average family in America is worth a million bucks? Now, that's a little bit misleading because remember, when we're looking at average and we're looking at median, they're very, very different ways to find those two numbers. Median is when you look at the entire population, think of it in a giant lineup and you take the middle person so that the Billionaire has just as much weight on picking the center of that line as somebody with zero money. That's the median number. And when it comes to looking at big data sets, particularly around wealth, net worth, income, it's probably much more representative to think about numbers from a median perspective. Choose the middle, the typical, if you will. When you think about the average in the United States, particularly with something like wealth, because we have a thousand or so multi, multi billionaires in the United States. And maybe it's not a thousand. There used to be the Forbes 400. I remember, and I haven't looked at the Forbes 400 list for a while, but for the most part, you've got to be a billionaire to be on that list. And I think there's, that could be a, a an even bigger list if it were just billionaires. Now, when we're looking at an average, that number can be greatly skewed by the several hundred billionaires here in the United States. I remember looking at the Forbes 400 list many years ago and the bottom few folks were just under a billion. So you essentially had to be a billionaire to be a top Forbes 400. 
Today, there's almost 800 billionaire families in the United States. So the average wealth in the United States is skewed by that group. So even though the average net worth in America right now is just over a million dollars, up 42% from 2019 when it was just shy of 750,000. If you look at it from a median perspective, that number is 193,000. That seems to make more sense when you're looking at the entire U.S. population. But again, that number is up 37% since 2019. The median American family, $193,000 in net worth. Now, there's also some real trends in who's becoming a millionaire. And part of this is a study around emerging folks. Who is the next crop or the emerging group of people that will hit that millionaire number sooner than we all might think? If we look at what happened during that period of time, so think those three years, 2020, 21, 22. The big jump, this is a huge jump in net worth and the number of people that have hit this million mark. It makes sense because we saw values for two things go up dramatically over that period of time. Look at the Case-Shiller Home Price Index. That's the aggregate measure of home values in the United States. An enormous part of what makes up the net worth here in our country. Case-Shiller Home Price Index went from 212 to two, almost 95 during that period of time. That's up almost 40% during that window. And the S&P 500 was up almost 20% from the end of 2019 through 2022. So it's home values and really almost any other asset that's been able to keep up with inflation. Now, what else do these emerging millionaires look like? Number one, they've got, they have good incomes, not amazingly high incomes, but they have good incomes, not millions a year, but they earn between $150,000 a year to $250,000 a year. What's interesting is this emerging group, they're the top 20% of earners, not the top 10, not the top five, not the top one. This is the top 20% group. And they've seen bigger gains than even the top 10% of earners in the U.S., up 69% in overall wealth adjusted for inflation to a median of almost $750,000. So you could call these mini millionaires like the Wall Street Journal is saying, or you can call this group emerging millionaires. In fact, if you really think about this, this emerging group only needs to go up in net worth by about 33.5%. Then they're at the million mark. From a stock market perspective, who knows? If the market averages 10% a year, that's about three, four years from now. If that net worth is really tied up in real estate, it might be five or 10 years as real estate after the big surge we've had, is more likely to go back to that baseline 2 to 4% a year that we've seen historically for housing. But either way, it's not too far down the line. But what got this group there? Yes, they have good earnings, but there's a couple other really key items. We've already touched on a few. They're investors. Not only are they savers, which of course the millionaire next door authors would certainly agree with, but they're investors as well. They didn't just save their way there. They have saved and likely invested 
and gotten the tailwind of the eight to 10% in markets and three to 5% in real estate. It's really tough to save your way to being a millionaire. It's a little easier, still not easy, still not easy to invest your way to being a millionaire. So they own inflation and hedging assets like real estate and U.S. stocks, even if it's just in the 401k. But here's another really interesting part. They're college educated. They're an educated group. If you look at the overall share of families who are millionaires by age group, one, we see the percentage rise as you get older. Of course, that makes sense because it takes time. For example, only 1% of families under age 35 are millionaires. But then that rises with age by ages 55 to 64, 21% of families are millionaires. That's for the overall population of the United States. Now, if you look at just families that are headed by college graduates, now looking at that same category, 55 to 64 years old, that number jumps to 45%. So 21% for the general population, 45% if you're college educated. I look at that as you're two times more likely, two X more likely to end up in the millionaire camp if you have a college education. For the last decade, and maybe rightly so, because college debt and student loan debt has ballooned to over a trillion dollars in the United States, the argument is college worth it. It's so expensive. Really gets ping-ponged around. Is it worth it? Is it not worth it? Go to a two-year school. Don't go to a four-year school. If I were arguing the point, is it worth it or not to go to college? Is it worth the money? I think this settles it. Looks like, looks like college is worth it after all. Just looking at the numbers here in the United States, I don't, I don't even think it's an argument. So not only have we seen assets go up, but we've also seen debt for these families go down. Over 90% of these families, this is the emerging millionaire group, report owning stocks, over 90%. Either, either directly or through some sort of retirement account at work. 87% of this group owns a home. 87%. So not only have they seen home values go up, they've been in the tailwind of extraordinary low interest rates. Now, not 2023 when rates went through the roof, but 2020, 2021, 2022, people were able to refinance at historically low interest rates. And what did that do? It cut debt payments as a share of their income, which was 19%. So debt payments relative to income at 19% in 2007 to less than 13% in 2022. So not only did assets go up, overall debt became more manageable. Now, here's an example. What if, I'm going to do two examples here, one with a million and one with $500,000. What if someone was in retirement and I'm going to cherry pick a really bad year to retire for markets. That was 1999. 1999 was a great year. And then what followed that, and that's, if you look at history, it's really what happened the, net, the, the preceding years when you were no longer working, no longer saving, trying to live off your investments. 2000 was a rough time to really start. So we, we looked at a 25-year stretch going back, starting 
right after 1990. And looking at this group, that's not necessarily saving. They're just living off their money. What did that look like? Here's a couple scenarios. A million dollars invested in three separate ways. One, a balanced portfolio of 60% S&P 500, 40% bonds, agri-bond index. Number two, a portfolio that's only investing into one-year treasury. So every year you get the prevailing treasury interest rate, one year. And then three, a portfolio fully invested in something just paying a fixed 4.5%. We picked that rate because that's... That was around the prevailing CD rate back in 1999. Now, he would have had to lock in a 25-year CD, but let's just say that was the case. In all three scenarios, these are people that have stopped working. They're pulling from their assets. We're going to use the 4% rule. We're going to say year one, 4%, $40,000. And then every year, inflation goes up. We ratchet up the 40. So in all three scenarios, those retirees that were right just at the million-dollar mark in liquid assets, they all withdrew the same amount, $1.3 million, $40,000 per year over the last 25 years, ratcheted up for inflation. Mathematically, it works out to $1.3 million. What's each retiree left with? Well, choosing the fixed rate, Let's say we could just magically have waved a wand, gotten 4.5% per year, million dollars, took out 1.3, it's actually $1.34 million. There's still money left at the end, 25 years later, just shy of three quarters of a million. So you started with a million, took out 1.3, and you would have ended at $744,000. Not bad. If you did the one year treasury strategy, which probably closer or more realistic to reinvesting in a one-year CD each year. Million bucks to start, you take out 1.34. But in this scenario, whether it's one-year treasuries or if it were to have been one-year CDs, it's similar. Pretty much right out of money. $62,000. Started at a million, pulled out 1.34 million, down to close to zero. But the good old-fashioned balanced portfolio, both stocks and bonds, that's gotten a, a really bad rap over the last few years because bonds have had a terrible run over the last two and a half, three years. The retiree that had a balanced portfolio still took out $1.34 million using the 4% rule, adjusting for inflation. At the end of the 25 years, still left with over $1.2 million dollars. Again, takes investing to become a millionaire, takes investing to stay a millionaire as well. The S&P 500 fell nearly 20% in 2022. Inflation jumped to double digits, and the Fed has continued to relentlessly raise interest rates. It feels like chaos, but at Capital Investment Advisors, we take a disciplined approach to investing to help our clients find happiness in retirement, regardless of the scary headlines. We can't control the chaos, but we can control what we do about it. If you'd like help with your disciplined retirement strategy, reach out to our team at yourwealth.com. That's Y-O-U-R-Wealth.com. So there are the numbers. 16 million households have already crossed the million mark. 
half of those are 8 million or 2 million. We've got this big burgeoning group of the mini millionaires. We call them emerging millionaires. The question is, what are those habits from the millionaire next door that get us there? And we'll bring in producer Mallory as we talk these through. Oh, yay. Thank you for bringing me in. I really meant to bring you in at the very beginning of this, and then I just went. It was so good, though. I just, I love whenever you find a topic that you're really passionate about, and you can just really feel that as you talk through it. It's so interesting and engaging the way so that you do that. So interesting. Thank you so It much. is. Um, so interesting. I guess I'm biased. All right, so we've got Million Next Door. We've all read it. If you haven't read the book, it's one of the best. It's one of the all-time greats. I was at my kid, one of my kids' schools the other day, and it was on the the bookshelf. I I was just looking like it up a, on Amazon. Even. It's still like definitely in the top selling books on there. You know what's funny though? I actually found the Millionaire Next Door on my parents' shelf when I was in college, but it was the Millionaire Woman Next Door. So they had like kind of a different th- take on it. And I was taking a personal finance class at the time, and I so I flipped through there. That was really my first introduction. Were you taking personal finance? You're saying this is college or high school? College. Yeah. Oh, you took college. personal finance? Yeah, actually at um, UGA they offer a class through the School of Economics. It's um, which is a little bit more like it's a home ec actually, but it was great. It was so helpful. I learned then to like, you know, they had all kinds of great rules of thumb. They explained like the difference between like leasing versus buying a car outright and kind of the benefits and like pros and cons there. Do and they then, have the 4% rule? You know, I think they might've talked through that. That'd have been I like, don't think so. I wonder now, honestly though, I've learned so much about finance. I can't even keep it straight. <laughs> well now, now look, you're the producer of the retired sooner podcast, but really you were in marketing that you were in real estate, commercial real estate marketing. And then you, Many, many years ago, you joined our team, and now you've become the producer of the Retire Sooner podcast. So you're in finance now, whether you like it or not. And let's talk through some of these. There are, there are dozens of, of really great lessons in the book. So I wanted to distill them down in just five. Maybe we can remember a shorter list. And I think this really does it. And this entire group lives below or well below their earnings to... Millionaire next door families focus their time and energy on wealth building activities. Or they're always thinking about growing their wealth in some way. Three, they're seeking independence and financial freedom. They're not seeking status. That was a really big theme from Stanley and Danko. Four, they raise independent children, which is interesting. And number five, they're really almost always just plain hard workers who are also thinking about achieving financial independence and really have that mindset. And I'll, and I'll start there. How many people do you know that are wealthy either from inheritance, lottery, or hitting it kind of big in almost like a Facebook story where they were at a startup and they have tons of money because they happen to be at XYZ Snapchat. I, I don't I don't know if I can name a single one, quite frankly. Not a single one. I don't, I don't know if I've really got a lot of people of like that in my Rolodex. So okay. <laughs> what about you? How many do you know? How many lives? I have winners? okay, so so over all these years, working with th- thousands of families over the years, and, and not working directly with every single one, but knowing a lot of the families that our that our firm works with, I've talked to thousands of, of families around this. I would say only I'd say I could count them on one hand. It's a small number. One well, lot, one lottery. Reeves and I always like to say whenever the lottery gets to about a billion, we're like, it's time to invest in our financial future. It's We got to buy <laughs> some lottery argue. tickets. I can't argue with that. 
Number two, inheritance. I don't know if I, very rarely have I ever seen it be an unexpected, all of a sudden, oh, my long lost uncle, aunt from many states away left me $2 million, $3 million, $5 million. I've seen that, but again, only two or three times that I can really remember. Now, generational wealth in families, that is a little bit more common where the family is already wealthy. And it's not necessarily that they inherited, but the whole family already is wealthy from grandfather to father to, to next generation. So that's a little more common, but again, not hundreds. This is a few dozen people over the years. And then again, I could count on one hand. And again, it's not never, folks that were with a small company that either went public and their stock went through the roof, they owned one or half a percent of something and it became several million dollars. Or their company that was private got bought by a bigger private or public company and that became a windfall. Somebody getting 10, $20 million that really in a short period of time. So it absolutely happens. I'd say... The generational wealth is more common, but the sudden wealth from nothing to several million, it definitely happens. But I'd say it's less than 1% of the time, even in an industry that is typically working with people that have been focusing on and accumulating wealth. So it's not never, and I and it's not never, and I love those stories. Someone who is the fifth person at a company that got bought by a bigger software company, I love those where they look up three, five, seven, even seven years later and all of a sudden have $10 million. Those are awesome stories. And those people, 95% of those people didn't just get lucky. They're also exceptional because they happen to be in that spot. And they were part of the reason that company grew. But again, it's rare. The majority of these folks are in it for the long haul and they're hard workers. And they were almost always able to grind away. One, Self-employment, a, a significant proportion of the millionaires surveyed in the book, Millionaire Next Door, were self-employed business owners. Or they were in careers that didn't have a lot of cap on the upside. So think of a revenue-sharing job or a sales-oriented job. Some of the riskier jobs that can end up really having high incomes that maybe get you there a little faster. It sounds like, you know, you really got to have some cojones to be able to <laughs> yeah. to the millionaire it's, these next are door. Not, these are not the safe, stable jobs that you're going to get tenured. However, speaking of, there are a lot of folks that end up in this category that are teachers and accountants and engineers and managers, but they, they hit that mark by living by, number one, living well below their earnings or living well below their means. Not keeping up with the Joneses. Or the Kardashians, Lord. Knows. Or the Kardashians. That's tough to keep up with. <laughs> yeah, that one, it's it's entertaining to watch and it's exhausting to think about the expenses. Yeah, I always see the the Maybach cars and the those really ultra limo things. And the pri I think I can see how if you've got a really high income, that works. But it's the, you know, the private jets that those people fly around on. Oh. You're talking about twenty to fifty thousand dollars per per leg. Oh my gosh, it's leg. so like wild to actually like wrap your head you're around Philly like, to, to Miami. I and you probably... can get such great like first class seats. I don't and now and actually they even have like that private terminal through um 
through the airport here in Atlanta. You know, look, Have you heard about that's that? That's interesting. And for those who don't live in Atlanta, we're the busiest airport on planet Earth. That The statistics say it, and a Monday morning says it. When you can't even walk to your gate because the plane train, which is the their name for the bus, is backed up by one minute, the entire causeway is filled with people, and you almost have to like... You almost have to weave your way through. It is a mess. So they put in place something that a friend of mine told me about, asked me if I was a member of, I read about it, something like five grand to join this really nice lounge at the Atlanta airport. And there's a few others. I think there's one in Heathrow. There's one in LA. But I don't understand why you would pay that much if you live in Atlanta. Because you're never in, you're not in a layover in Atlanta. You're going to your flight and you're getting on your flight. So I don't understand why anybody from Atlanta would ever pay that much money to have a better experience. Not to have to weave. I get not wanting to weave through all the people. I, I, there's a price. I don't know what it is for me, but I don't know why you would do it in your home airport. So I will say, I mean, so I actually, I take it back. It was, and by the way, and by the way, we're totally off track here, but oh, I love this topic. I mean, it's just kind of crazy, right? I mean, like, you know, you got if you're going to talk about millionaires, I feel like you got to talk about like some some crazy lifestyle things too, even though our people aren't normally taking part of these. But so I, it wasn't an article that I read. It was actually a TikTok, which was even better because I was oh, able to see it. Oh, you got to listen to TikTok. I love the TikToks, man. But it was so interesting because like, apparently the whole thing is that they have the security there. So you don't go through that main part of the security, right? And like that would be an argument to have it with your hometown airport. So way quicker. Quicker security. Way quicker oh, security. That's, a, and that's then, a good point. And then you hang out at the lounge and then it drives you to the plane. What drives you? Like a car. What? And then apparently when you oh, get you off. you just walk up the steps? Yeah. And you mm. walk up the steps and then an Uber will come and pick you up like whenever you're going to leave. I'm not going to lie. It sounds I don't, pretty you know, cool. This sounds like your typical. I don't know if I'd spend the money on product it. Product that, that sounds good and is good. But so many people like the Sky Club. Get a $500 Amex card and you can be part of the Sky Club, which is great. Well, it is great. But guess what? Everybody else thinks it's great and everybody else buys the card. And now the Sky Club, there's a line out the door and you've got 1,400 people crammed into space sneezing on your food buffet. Oh, yeah. So the Sky Club went from great to largely terrible and Delta's had to change their entire business model around it and people are up and so arms upset. even about that. So upset. So we'll see because how many how many individual cars can be driving around on the tarmac taking people to their planes? Yeah, but I guess if they're saving money because otherwise they'd be pl- flying private, I guess it's still that millionaire next door mindset, right? If you've got the option of like pay $5,000 a month for, or not a month, oh God, I hope it's not a month. 5000 a year. Okay, 5000 a year for this private access to a public plane, right? Okay, versus, and it's a middle of the road. Yeah, versus like, yeah, like paying $20,000 a leg for a private plane. I, I guess, you know, you're still technically saving money. I know, the jury's still out on that. And even that's gone through the roof with inflation. So not only is this group really hard worker, that's number five. Number one is they live well below their earnings. In your case, you're saying join the private group to take public planes. <laughs> Maybe that works. <laughs> so look, being frugal, of course, is can be part of the process. It usually is part of the process. I have seen many folks scrimp and underspend their way to wealth. I think there's some probably much better examples than a <laughs> private plane versus- Versus not. <laughs> versus Correct. Not. 
This is a group that takes coach. It does. Yes, business class, probably. But it doesn't mean that they also don't spend a little for first class because, yes, I've seen people scrimp and save and only fly coach no matter how much money they have. It's a great Byron Ween, the late great Byron Ween who passed away in 2023, worked into his 90s. Obviously very wealthy guy. One of the most famous guys on Wall Street. One of his life lessons was to never fly private. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, I love don't know what that. his net worth was, but it. And this is a guy who, according to market.com, worth uh, an estimated $100 million. So there's a nuance here. Not all millionaire families live on beans and, and rice and library books. There are plenty of wealthy families that, that spend a fair amount. But they, sim they simply have the earnings, either wage or residual investment income to support it, to support the spending. No matter what, and this is, I would say, indisputable and a no-brainer, spending, of course, needs to, to be moderate relative to earnings. All right, number two, Mallory. These families focus their time and energy on wealth-building activities. What does that mean oh, to you? To me, um, I feel like that means that they are Actually, I'm going to have to think about it. It's kind of like they are, f it sounds like they're focused on actually purchasing a house and they're focused on setting up a 401k and they're not necessarily just chasing the latest, greatest fun new thing that they can spend their money on. I, yeah, I think that's, that's I think it's partially right. The, the, the thought here is that they put a lot of stock in advice. Oh. So they're and they're very happy to spend time with their CPA and talk about taxes. Okay, they're very happy to, to sit down with an advisor or multiple advisors and understand what they should be investing in. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna put my money to work. Where are the best places to do this? What investment should I make? What building should I look into? They're thinking about that in terms of where can my money be working for me, which is really kind of different from where can my money be the safest. So yes, we can think, where can I get the best CD rate? That's kind of the, the height of safety. And yes, even those savers want the best rate they can have. But it, but it is different from having this ownership type mindset on where is my money going to be really working and compounding for me? So they're, they're very happy to spend time on that financial thought. So inv investment planning equals wealth accumulation. No, Essentially, that that's the way I look at it. That makes sense. They surround themselves with smart people, and they keep learning. Yeah, and they're and they're very happy to they're they're happy to pay for advice in in someone else's area of expertise. The so here's the next one: they're seeking independence and freedom versus status. And again, most of our listeners are probably thinking, I don't think I don't think of money as status, but just be honest with yourself. This is this comes is back the, to the private plane. <laughs> is there a little bit or in any sort of purchase? I yeah. mean, we all have a little bit of that in us, right? Do you do you feel as though a house re represents what where you should be living? We could all not all of us, but we could probably live in less expensive houses. We could drive less expensive cars. Speaking of cars, this is back in the original work from, from Stanley and Danko. About 81% of millionaires, about 81% of this millionaire next door, this millionaire next door population 
purchase their vehicles. Only about 20% lease. Now, it doesn't mean leasing is necessarily a bad deal. In fact, there's been a wild swing throughout COVID and used car prices and used car and new car prices and people who leased ended up in, in a great spot because they got more for their car than they maybe thought they were going to get. So th there are always exceptions to these rules, but I think it has to do with more of this ownership mentality. I want to own something. I don't want to rent it. Rather own a car versus rent a car. I want to own a house rather than rent a house. I want to own stocks rather than, I want to own part of a company rather than take my money and rent some interest in the bank. I wonder how Thomas Stanley would feel about the rental market now when I think about things like Uber and Lyft and the little bird scooters, you know, and Netflix even, you know, you rent kind of everything now. I'll tell you exactly how the classic millionaire store would think about that. You're crazy to use Uber anything. $10, $15 delivery fee when you could just get in your car and go to the cheesesteak shop and get a cheesesteak. You're crazy to pay 30 bucks to go across town in an Uber. You're crazy to rent one of those ridiculous bird scooters, which by the way, people leave on my sidewalk and they're the worst invention in the history of mankind. You haven't ridden one clearly. And I've ridden them and I just think they're the worst. Oh, they're so fine. Oh, they're the worst. And you probably, you and your hippie friends probably leave your bird scooters and your lime scooters laying on my sidewalk. Oh. I actually make a point of it. We like to stop by there. <laughs> I want them to ban them from all existence. But again, the cost of that, they would say, just buy your own scooter and charge it in your garage and own your car and pick up your food Go to the grocery store, don't have Instacart deliver. I think that's what Stanley and Danka would probably say. Again, <laughs> again, we don't all follow all the rules. And I'm guilty of using way too much Uber, particularly Eats. Mm, that's fair. Uh, everything in moderation, including moderation? Including moderation. All right. No, and the last one, which was number four out of the five, we started with five. Independent kids. They raise independent children. Wait, why is this so important? Why do you think it's so important? You're an independent child. Uh, <laughs> thank you. I, you know, you reach a Your certain age. And, of, uh, of, <laughs> of early retirees or newer retirees. There we go. And they're in really good shape. And it's no surprise to me that you're totally independent. You have been since you've been probably 22. Yeah, yeah. All of that's accurate. That's so, the whole reason your parents are millionaire next door. Oh, you know, it's so nice. It's all I'm you. so glad. I'm so glad if we you finally got to the source of this. Yes, you're right. You're welcome, mom and dad. You're welcome. I love that my sister gave them a grandbaby last week, but I'm the one who made the millionaire next doors. So <laughs> they, I'm pretty sure I for, win. <laughs> and this was a great part of the research. They, they foster independent kids and the family puts a huge emphasis on education we just talked about educational statistics and how the percentage of folks educated or, or the percentage of millionaire families through the roof. But all of that includes a wealth building mindset. It includes saving, investing, entrepreneurship. We also know and this is from some of our research on the Retire Sooner team is that ATROBs raise their adult children to be economically self-sufficient. ATROBs, happy, happiest retirees on the block, support their, their children less than $500 a month on average, their adult children. The unhappy group, 
had set more than $700 per month. There's a big difference between those two. I, I remember being shocked by that statistic that I, I figured that happy retirees would not support their children or like it would be a very small dollar amount. So the $500 a month for a happy retiree couple, I thought was pretty high. But do you remember too? And then like the most unhappy retirees, you remember that dollar amount? That's also shocking. Well, it was 700 way plus. Well, it was if you were, you were four times more likely to be an unhappy retiree if you were supporting your kids by $2,000 a month. That's right. That was the more extreme case. As the numbers climbed, your retirement happiness declined precipitously. And it's because you can't afford everything. We can't afford our own retirements and our kids into their 30s. It's just too taxing for most Americans. The other thing when it comes to career development, this is a study I found from the journal Vocational Behavior, that financial support from parents can lead, of course, well, this makes sense, can lead to delay in career development for their young adults, may reduce the urgency to get financially independent through career progression. And I've seen that. I've seen financial support that can work in, in both ways. And this one is also nuanced. I've seen financial support really support people and launch adult children. I've seen adult children be overly dependent and stay dependent on financial gifts, financial support from their parents. And ultimately, I think it's the millionaire next door's own independence that often translates to, to their children and then they take that into adulthood. There's a, there's a great sense of independence. So hard work in, and independence. I think you put those two together with this real, just a, a, a not an obsession, but a, a, a real mindfulness around, I want my money working for me. I want to I be an investor. You put that together, throw in, sprinkle in some education and at least a dash of frugality and voila, that's the recipe right there. So it's probably more of a recipe and it's a long one. This is a cake that takes a long time to bake. It's not a magic potion. This isn't a dash of wart frog that all of a sudden scratches off a $2 million lottery ticket. It's not a potion. It's a recipe. It's a lifelong journey. And that's the reality for almost any investor. It takes investing to get to be one of these millionaire families. And then maybe just as interestingly, taking a look at some of the numbers we went over in today's episode, it takes investing to stay a millionaire family as well. So here on the Retire Sooner podcast, I hope that we're helping you get on and, and stay on so I hope here on the Retire Sooner podcast, we're doing our part to help you, encourage you, educate you, motivate you to stay on that same path to being a millionaire next door, maybe retiring just a little bit sooner. Hey, y'all, this is Mallory with the Retire Sooner team. Please be sure to rate and subscribe to this podcast and share it with a friend. If you have any questions, you can find us at westmoss.com. That's W-E-S-M-O-S-S.com. You can also follow us on Instagram and YouTube. You'll find us under the handle Retire Sooner Podcast. And now for our show's disclosure. 
This information is provided to you as a resource for informational purposes only and is not to be viewed as investment advice or recommendations. Investing involves risk, including the possible loss of principal. There is no guaranteed offer that investment return, yield, or performance will be achieved. Stock prices fluctuate, sometimes rapidly and dramatically, due to factors affecting individual companies, particular industries or sectors, or general market conditions. For stocks paying dividends, dividends are not guaranteed and can increase, decrease, or be eliminated without notice. Fixed income securities involve interest rate, credit, inflation, and reinvestment risks and possible loss of principal. As interest rates rise, the value of fixed income securities falls. Past performance is not indicative of future results when considering any investment vehicle. This information is being presented without consideration of the investment objectives, risk tolerance, or financial circumstances of any specific investor and might not be suitable for all investors. Investment decisions should not be based solely on information contained here. This information is not intended to and should not form a primary basis for any investment decision that that you may make. Always consult your own legal, tax, or investment advisor before making any investment, tax, estate, or financial planning considerations or decisions. The information contained here is strictly an opinion and it is not known whether the strategies will be successful. The views and opinions expressed are for educational purposes only as of the date of production and may change without notice at any time based on numerous factors such as market and other conditions.